Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the new athletic director for the University of Austin, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> uh, hey, man. I... I... <laughs> I will gladly be the the head coach of of their football team um, if if they need one. You know, it's it's great location. The same way that the University of Phoenix uh, dominates the state of Arizona, uh, it sounds like Austin University uh, will 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 be the new school to beat in in Central Texas. I don't know what else to say, but I had to lob that up there. We're not here to talk about universities that don't offer degrees. We're here to talk about universities that don't offer any hope <laughs> on the football field. The University of Texas. Eat, eat at Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't know what else to say. Texas went into Ames and laid an egg. 30-7 is the score. My son, I was doing a rewatch, was, was gracious enough to tell me, Daddy, 30 is a lot bigger than 7. And I said, yep. I learned that last night too, son. Uh, so it's the first time Texas has lost four uh, four consecutive games since 2010. 11 years. We're setting new lows. The offense was anemic. The defense played a good first half, second half. Um, just absolutely Iowa State exploded on them. So we'll start, I guess, with the offense because that was, I think, the most atrocious is what it feels like. Managed just 207 yards on the day. 103 in the air. 104 on the ground, Casey Thompson left the game uh, in the first quarter. He was playing poorly. It looked like he's honestly, it looks like the thumb is, is continuing to act up. And so they went with Hudson card and things didn't really get much better. Was 14 to 23 for 101 and a touchdown. And a lot of that yardage came on his very first drive. And then nothing else really materialized. It was just a bad outing overall, Kyle. I don't know how else to say that. Technically, his second drive, Gerald. He came in for the uh, the botched quick uh, quarterback sneak on third down that oh, led yeah. to Roshan fighting. I believe that was his first uh, his first drive, but it did. It spurred the team with Roshan getting angry. Um, you know, look, that one drive was okay. Uh, the rest <laughs> of our offense, n- not so great. Um, I think what you saw was that Texas has two quarterbacks with talent that in the right situation could be good but this is not the right situation honestly for either of them um Hudson Hudson Card who's a you know a guy we like his potential and and we know what he can do um but behind a bad line in his kind of he's a freshman who has has been a hero in the past and as freshman quarterbacks from Austin who play at Texas uh, have want to do, uh, want to be the hero, right? And and do some some hero ball and and squeeze a little and and you know try to try to force it and um, you know he missed some wide open guys, uh, got some happy feet, uh, had an intentional grounding that probably you know a sophomore or junior just throws you know past the stick um instead of trying to extend it a little bit you know just some some tough things also in that play there was a uh, uh 
eight man drop and they they still got pressure but yeah. anyways that's, that's <laughs> neither here nor there uh, but yeah it was um it was tough especially that second half it was was about as as bad as as it's been in a while um rewatching it was not a fun experience it hasn't been the past couple weeks but this one just felt bleak especially the first half was just so ugly that yep. you almost thought all right let's come out and do another ugly Win we'll, we'll go to ames messy, yeah we'll go to gross Exactly. Ames wants to play sloppy, you know, football. It's cold up in Iowa in the Midwest. Like, let's play Big Ten slop football, and we'll we'll, we'll do it, you know. But uh, whew, uh, whew, not not a great offensive performance in either half, uh, especially the the second half with with you know the zero points and whatnot. When you talk about our passing game, Gerald, how much of our numbers are floated by checkdowns to Bijan or jet sweeps, right? Like, just remember. If they don't count the way that Texas pop passes their jet sweeps, we don't break 100 yards on 28 passing attempts, nor do we throw for a touchdown, of course, um, which is it's a tough day. Yeah, and Texas was, was like unable to push the ball downfield through the pass, which then shut down the run because, again, Iowa State was able to stop the run and gain pressure with three and a half guys and drop eight. And then on the flip side of that, uh, te- Texas couldn't open it up on the ground to create some space for B or create some space for the quarterback to really do anything downfield. And the thing that's crazy for me, I, I looked up the uh, like the breakdown of like the regions on the field. Texas attempted just ten passes that were longer than five yards. Whoa! Just ten attempts longer than five yards. There were three of ten on those passes for thirty-four yards which is just absolutely atrocious. And that means that without those, Texas was 14 of 27 for 61 yards. Yeah. It's absolutely it's, central. It, that is, that is inexcusable. And I'm running out of words. I'm running out of lament. I'm running out of sackcloth and ash to put on and mourn on Sundays. Like I just, I'm running <laughs> out of ways to describe the frustration I have with this. And I put it out there on Twitter. I was feeling a little spicy this weekend and it's fine. I argued with some people. It is what it is. It goes way deeper than a quarterback change, right? And Thompson struggled early in the game. We're not, oh, we're yeah. not sugarcoating that. He struggled. I think he hasn't been the same since the thumb injury because I think that's what we've Correct. seen in the last two outings. It's just been a struggle for him. He had he the 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 little zip on the ball that he seemingly showed early in the year is just not there. And so Card comes in and is the same Hudson Card we saw against Arkansas, and that's a function of the offensive line not giving him any room. So Hudson Card defaults into I'm a freshman. I'm a I'm a hero mode, holds onto the ball yeah. for too long, tries to throw it when he should tuck and run, and that's yeah. where we end up, and that's why the offense looks so anemic uh, against against Iowa State, because Iowa State was able to, when Texas even kept a running back in the backfield for a max protect look, was able to generate pressure with minimal rushing. And so that does not create any passing lanes for him. And that also, again, I mentioned it already. The fact that the offensive line couldn't get Bijan any room to run kept them in that. It was they were unable to do anything in either facet of the ball, and so it just continued to. It was a typical kind of snowball or snowball or quicksand game in the second half for the offense. Yeah, I mean to uh, to Bijan, it was a tough game, right? He, he got his hundred yards rushing. He caught a lot of passes, not a ton of yards. I think he had seven yards after the catch, which is not a you know a knock on him. Some of those were that he caught behind the line of scrimmage. It just doesn't get credit for those yards but he literally was just a safety valve like hey we stood here for four seconds nothing happened here you try it um and and there's a guy right on yeah there's a guy right behind you so uh turn around and and try to now go forward um but 
yeah, I mean, a, a tough game for him. He, he took some licks. Uh, it opened up on the second play of the game when, look, Bijan is a hard runner. You know that he doesn't ever want to go down. I think to him, going down is like a personal affront to his, uh, his, his personal. Exactly. And, you know, Bijan tries to break tackles and go out of balance. You know, he doesn't like to be put on the ground. And you saw it in the second play of the game. They had a scrum, uh, a rugby scrum, and both sides were pushing. And, you know, after about six additional yards of scrummage, uh, they may have called, you know, that momentum was down. But, hey, if you're going to let the offense do it, I've always thought that's an interesting rule that, you you know, where you count the guy's momentum – down is tough on the defense and they let it go and the defense inside the scrum with about six guys hanging on Bijan's arms were able to peel the ball out of there um to their credit um that was a tough one that was his first career fumble loss he did have one fumble his freshman year uh but was able to be recovered so that was his first ever uh turnover that he was responsible for which is which is pretty incredible considering he's had quite a few carries this year um but then sadly he gets you know, a little uh, shaken up and kind of stumbles across the field at uh, one point in the game and then a couple plays later gets knocked out of the game. And on that play that he was knocked out, as it, the injury apparently happened, he fumbled the ball on that play as well, which is tough. Again, a player who was doing what he does, which is fall forward for five or six yards, taking licks, pinballing all the way down, and, and that's when the ball fell out a second time. Not that those two turnovers were the difference in the game. There was He was just trying to do something. There was layers and layers and layers of ineptitude. But the saddest thing when I went back and looked at it was as much as they kind of shut down the shop in the second half for our offense, so before the, the injury, he had a nine-yard catch his first time comes back into the game, has a seven-yard rush, a seven-yard rush, a six-yard rush, and a nine-yard catch. So he's actually moving the ball. And in those those plays, they converted two third downs, which they're only third downs of the day they converted that weren't on that touchdown drive in the second quarter, which is just depressing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, there was actually if, – if Bijan stays healthy, they had actually started to get something going. Now, they needed to get a couple touchdowns at that point, and I'm not saying that would have necessarily happened. But, you know, it, it was telling that the first signs of any continuity with the offense basically were, were erased with the injury to our best player, which, again, is probably the more serious part. Sark said he's day-to-day and, and not ruling him out for this weekend, which is a great sign, uh, but still a little scary when you think about where this offense would be without him on the year, but also in this game. I, I should have thought he was concussed on the play based on the way he laid on the turf. Now I'll come to find out it was it was a stinger, and that sucks and absolutely sucks. And and those are injuries that can also linger linger, especially a running back that runs as physically as Bijan does. But it really comes down to me to the offensive line's inability to just do anything, to just be five coherent blockers for Texas. And there's a longer conversation to have about the lack of depth and talent at the offensive line and how Texas in the last five cycles has only signed four players in the top 150 at the offensive line. And one of them is a redshirt freshman starting currently. The other one is right next to him at right guard, right? So looking at the havoc that Oklahoma State created in the backfield and looking at the sacks and the 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 runs for no gain and the quarterback hurries and all of it like that to me continues to be the the drum that we're going to bang on the table that we're going to stand on is like until Texas is able to improve on the offensive line this offense regardless of the quarterback that you get in there regardless of the running back you get in there regardless of the wide receivers you get there the quarter the the offense is going to continue to sputter the offense was so good at Alabama because well they're fifth they have 
25 stars across that uh, that offensive line. Mm-hmm. And then they've got 25 stars right behind them. And that's 25 stars, not like 25. <laughs> not 20, whatever, it's fine. Do math, five times five, 25, right? So that to me is the, the differentiator. And can Texas get there within the next three weeks? No, right? So they've got to figure something out to create space because – we are three weeks away from the end of the regular season, and Texas needs two wins for a bowl. And so Kansas, fingers crossed, hopefully uh, they could get something done against them, 30-point favorite. But West Virginia and, and Kansas State would love to ruin Texas's year even more. Oh, yeah, we, we can talk about that. Both of those teams would, would cherish and relish the moment to poop in the punch bowl of Texas' season, put the final nail in a coffin. I do think that there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, TCU down this year, but a TCU, OU, um, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, five-game punch is as tough as it gets in the Big 12. That I mean, that's as, that's as hard as you can do it, especially playing – uh, effectively, you know, four of those not at home, uh, three pure road games. Um, I, I do think no one expected Baylor to be as good as they are this year. Um, even the Baylor guest who came on our podcast to preview them, um, but no one really saw that coming. So that's fair. But nonetheless, uh, I think you knew this Iowa State game. You knew the OU, the o- Oklahoma State defense was great. We knew they were going to be improved. So we knew there were, those were tough games all along. Um, these last three should be relatively winnable. But again, they. wow you could write a narrative narratives can go all kinds of ways right but nonetheless the fight that they showed in this game especially on the offensive side of the ball does no favors to make you think that you can win three much you know two much less three of the final you know three games remaining but I mean one thing to think about Gerald in this one is Iowa State now up to fourth nationally in total defense and I know total defense is not the single best stat uh, by any stretch of the imagination but it is worth noting they are fourth and they're behind Georgia it's really good uh, and Oklahoma State at third uh, who you know again Texas played the number three and number four uh, overall defenses in two out of three weeks that that is tough especially when you got some guys banged up and you have a line that's struggling to to get some things but just you know when you think about 200 yards on a Steve Sarkeesian offense that doesn't it doesn't jive when you think about the fact that outside of the 14 play touchdown drive they, they ran 43 plays for 159 yards 3.7 yards per play that does not feel right it doesn't feel like enough it doesn't feel like you know in tune with the 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 players the talent level I think it is becoming apparent that the weapon of not having Jordan Whittington to help with that passing game did a lot to them to what this team's identity could be and would be I I think you know that's something that isn't being talked about enough with their decline but I I don't care I I truly don't like Kevontae Dixon got his chance out there he dropped one he did catch uh, another but dropped one you know you got to help your quarterback when he's struggling there was to his credit Josh Moore had you know a, a catch that was thrown behind him caught on his back shoulder and ran it for about 13 more yards you know so that the few 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 plays uh that were made it just didn't feel like receivers helped out as much uh line didn't help out quarterback both of them had to struggle out there and yet again if if this offense is that one-dimensional defenses will find a way to he got 100 yards but to uh you know close up shop and and kind of contain to an extent Bijan when he doesn't have the space to run and all those things the past couple of weeks, especially the second halves, plus the full of this one, just look anemic on the offensive side of the ball. That's what you hire Steve Sarkeesian to not necessarily fix. There's like no paired appendage or paired organ 
that Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood wouldn't sell to have one or two of those offensive pieces from last year back, right? Sure. Like there are guys that are in the NFL right now that would have made a significant difference. And it's part of the reason why Tom Herman was able to win as many games as he did last year and the year before that, that Steve Sarkeesian just doesn't have, right? They're, they're offensive linemen that the, the basically the two offensive linemen at Texas that will end up playing in the league significantly uh, on the tackles, right? Connor Williams and Sam Cosme. Those are, those are probably the, two guys of the Herman era that really defined it more than even Sam Ellinger because they gave some continuity at the offensive line that allowed Texas to not completely suck offensively. Uh, so there's a lot longer conversation to have. But when push comes to shove, once again, a competent defensive coordinator is able to figure out that Texas's offensive line cannot do anything to stop you. And so if you dial up pressure and really force them, uh, the quarterback, to be a playmaker, he couldn't do it. And once again, they struggle to get anything done offensively against the Cyclones. And I'll close on this. I, I, I got a text from a friend of mine who's an offensive coordinator and was talking about how hard it is to scheme against John Haycock's defense. Like he, he is legitimately the way that the reference poured out for Gary Patterson after he um, was no longer the head coach at TCU and Aranda said some really nice words about him. And he's your favorite coach's favorite coach. I think, if you want to go a level deeper for a deeper cut, you know, the the grunge band from the 80s that you never heard of, but all your favorite uh, artists listen to, I think I think John Haycock is is maybe that guy, the, the, the venerated only by defensive coordinators around the land and not known by fans who aren't in, you know, an Iowa zip code, uh, is just, he's tough. And with that three deep safety look, he, he takes away some deep stuff, flies up to take the runaway. I mean, he's really done some good stuff there. I wonder if they connect on the one deep ball that was that was wide open. If that opens up the game, changes things a little bit. But you know, you could write a book on on what could have been. But I, I do think there needs to be some credit to a guy who has consistently done well against Texas and the Big Twelve in general. Uh, in in you know their defensive coordinator Haycock. So defensively. Texas had a great first half, lowest first half, or one of the lowest first halves of the year. It, it falls just above uh, the shutout they pitched at Rice. Uh, but that's really where the, the good play ended. And again, this could be a conversation about lack of complimentary football, but the Texas offense couldn't get anything done, left the defense out to dry, and they ended up giving up 296 yards in the second half. 27 of their 30 points were scored in the second half. And it's hard to put all the blame on the defense, right? Especially in a game mm -hmm. where the offense only managed seven points. But mm -hmm. the defense, especially on the ground and stopping Brees Hall, Brees Hall is going to get Brees Hall. But the thing that like jumped off the page at me is that Texas in nine games has given up more rushing yardage than they gave up last year in 11 games. Yeah. And if you look at the previous three years under Tom Herman, they have given up more rushing yardage than two of those three years. And by the end of this week, they will give, have given up more rushing yardage than three of those three years in fewer games. So there's yeah. you can be upset at the offense. We also have to take a moment and talk about how this run defense is atrocious and there's no two ways to say it. And I don't know how to fix it because PK doesn't have the guys that want to run his system and he doesn't seem to want to run a system to fit the guys that he has. Yeah, man, it's frustrating because, you again, you go back to two halves of football. You look at the first half where they only give up three points. They contain – he did get knocked out for a little while, but they contained Brees Hall to 17 yards. I think he had uh, double-digit touches in 17 yards or, or just under maybe, maybe nine touches. But, um, you know, they, they clearly – 
gave a look that the, even when, when Hall was perfectly healthy on the first couple drives, uh, Brock Purdy was trying to do it with his legs. That was the most dangerous, some of his scrambling. And even, even the pressure Texas did get Purdy to his credit. The thing that he does well is he's sneaky mobile and he's able to kind of slither out of pockets and, and get rid of the ball or, or chunk it up and try to make a play. Sometimes that bites him with interceptions, but in, in this game, it didn't potch for Thomas be danged. Um, but Brees Hall was, was bottled up in the first half and Texas, stood strong on third downs one for seven on third down zero for one in the fourth on fourth down attempts just looked like a a good defense i mean they looked like you look at a team down the road like the aggies they they only beat auburn with their anemic offense and and bo Nix actually trying to give them the game because of the aggie defense so credit to, to that unit right the aggie offense is just a, a, a smidge better than texas at this point they're pretty bad as well but their defense is is leaps and bound better because they can do it for four quarters um texas defense looked that good in the first half you know they they looked like they could be on to something even though they gave up some yards they they uh, ben don't break on the turnover on the first drive when when the Bijan fumble we referenced was the only points of the game and then they just they, they straightened the back up and stood strong and forced punts and got the ball back, and they did some things. The second half opened with that gosh darn speed option that I don't understand how after Baylor basically did that on every money play they needed to get chunk yardage, to get a third down conversion, to you know just get Texas out of... Like if Texas stops the speed option the past two weeks, they they well, at least during Baylor, they win that game. Uh, and it, it broke everything open when they, they ran the speed option to score their first touchdown in the second half on their opening drive, uh, which has to be frustrating because you know that everyone has watched the same tape that you made your defensive guys watch against Baylor, and you know they're going to try it against you. I, I, you know that Kansas is going to line up and try it against you, even though they're more, even more of an option uh, look that they they can offer. That you know why not run the thing that Texas has proved incomp in. Well, incompetent, but incapable uh, of stopping. And, and that kind of broke it open. Again, Hall went from 17 yards to, you know, gets just a chunk yard, gets to have his big cutback ac- across the grain, feel-good moment, and kind of unleash something in him and that offense. Uh, their next touchdown comes on a trick play, and at that point it just felt like those two plays broke the back of the Texas defense, and then the reservoir just flooded open, and it was – I mean, it was tough. They averaged over eight yards of play in that second half. I mean, just, just tough from that point on. Yeah, like – and. I, I remember seeing the point in the game where, and I think I put it out there on Twitter because Twitter is just like my therapy on Saturdays apparently at this point, but like Texas was unable to keep a drive going and I put it out there, I was like, eventually the levee's going to break and that this feels like the point where it's about to. And then literally that next drive, they run the speed option and bless him, Brees Hall goes completely across field and is just the best player on the field at that point. And there's no two ways around it. He was absolutely better than everybody on Texas's defense, right? Like there's no two ways. He put Brendan Schooler on skates. I have never, I heard the Benny Hill music in my my head as he did that to Brendan Schooler. We've seen that a lot. And I'm not normally one to call out players, but whatever it is, what it is, like they're clowning you in film session at this point. So we're going to do it anyways. But like that to me is just, indicative of what the Texas defense was unable to do. They they were just unable to stop what Iowa State wanted to do in the second half. Iowa State ran its offense to a T, and Texas had no answers. Texas could not win at the point of attack. The linebackers were not able, because of that, the linebackers weren't able to be in their run fits. The safeties flowing downhill overcompensated, overpursued, and got cut back on, and the hits kept on coming. And the thing for me, and, and I'm not going to beat this drum, and I don't want to beat this horse, but like that's the same thing that happened to you last week. And that's the same thing that happened to you 
the game before that. And that's the same thing that happened to you the game before that. Yeah. And so at what point do we say we got to do something different? Yeah. If if I when I was a youth pastor, right? This is this is a metaphor that I'm, when I was a youth pastor, and if I had a student that came to me and said, "Hey, I got I got in, I got in trouble at school today. I disrespected my teachers. Like, well, why'd you do that? Well, this, this isn't this. Okay, try it this time next time. And they come to me the next week. I got I got kicked out of school again. Disrespect my teacher. This, 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 this. If they come to me on the third time, this is when I tell them, like, either you need to listen to my advice and do it differently, or you need to ask somebody else for advice. Mm. Right? That, to me, is the 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 what it feels like at this point. It's like I'm screaming into the void, trying to get somebody to make a different decision that they don't want to make, and the same result keeps happening. And that's where I'm at with this defense at this point. It's interesting when you talked about Schooler because it felt like it was a feature, not a bug. He's the only player on the defense during this game, and Overshone did go out for a little while with an injury, but who had more than five tackles. He had 12, and like you said, he missed a few. It's almost like they were funneling things, like he was kind of the free player because he is in that too high safety and they were roving him up, but if you're going to put him in that role, that's you're you are asking some questions because on that that you know speed option we talked about, he was put on skates, and, and that led, you know, there was there was probably four or five plays that, you know, he missed a chance to either stop a play that was already gone for some yards or his miss caused, you know, a chunk, most of the yardage uh, gained, which is unfortunate, right? And, and from the experienced guy, you know what he can do. He had a good open field tackle, you know, I remember at the beginning of the second half on that first drive. Um, but, there, you know, for every good, there was a bad. And that's tough, right? When it when it seems like you're kind of putting your, your fit to stop what Brees Hall can do and kind of getting bodies at the point of attack and leaving him as the guy you saw, they didn't get a ton of pressure on Purdy. They did have, I think one sack and four uh, quarterback hurries where the official list, I probably saw closer to five or six because it looked like he scrambled out to that right-hand side a lot. felt like they kind of, they knew what Iowa state was going to do because Iowa state's not that crazy, right? They're, they're going to run it with Brees. They're going to run the occasional RPO and try to hit the tight end over the middle. Cause they have the size they're going to, you know, try to, grind it down and then use their big bodies, you know, in, in jump ball situations in the end zone. They did all those things into Texas credit on that first drive. Josh Thompson saw it and jumps out, jumped a guy six inches taller than him and timed it well to break up the touchdown pass. They fed Purdy to the right with their pressure on scrambles and then had guys waiting for him to try to make plays while he was going out of bounds, a little toss up. They just never were able to get their hands on one for the interception. It almost felt like they had a plan, but at the point when that stops working, what was plan B, right? And that that was the part that was a little frustrating. Maybe again, maybe you know if they if they don't give up one of those scores and you expect a Texas offense to get to thirty, right? They've always said their their goal is twenty points a game. Well, unfortunately, twenty points a game wouldn't have won you either side, right? Twenty points was was not enough with your offense, um, and, and you know, some some games you have to be tasked. Like I mentioned, the Aggies, right? Like. The offense didn't do nothing. Defense scored the only touchdown in the game. Sometimes you need a unit, and Texas had those in Orlando's first year. I mean, we've had multiple of those years. Sometimes you just need one unit to carry the water for the other one when the other one's not on. And the offense clearly wasn't, and I, I hate to say that to the defense, who was the better of the two units, I guess, um, and certainly had you know the one half that was elite. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to step up, make plays, get a, get the ball out of, out of, you know, they did have the one turnover, but get the ball out of their hands a little bit more. Uh, try to give your own offense a chance. You know, it, it was tough. You asked a lot of them, but it just felt like once they got punched, once their their move was countered, they did not have a counter to the counter. Well, and 
like it almost feels unfair to put that expectation on the defense because like what does that look like if the offense is able to put up some points, what does that look like if the offense puts any sort of pressure on Iowa State? What does that look like if you don't go on the sideline, see the offense pee it down their leg and say, oh, gosh, mm-hmm. I got to get back out there? Like there's there's that variable of like the defense getting demoralized because the offense can't do a darn thing. And so there's yeah. that interplay that happens where the, the, the defense oftentimes feeds on or off of the offense's energy, right? The offense makes a big play, the defense is hyped, and they can come on the field and do something. And so that's what we talk about. And it, complimentary football isn't just like, you know, you do something when the other side does something, but it's the ebb and flow of the energy of the team. And momentum is statistically overstated, but the way that humans interact with momentum and the concept of momentum is not. You feel good, you play better. You see somebody on one side of the ball make a play, I'm going to make a play. I'm, I'm going to try to make a play. I'm going to try to do something to win this game. And the flip side of that is also there. And that's, again, there's a mental toughness conversation we can have and players transferring and we're likely going to see more players transfer it is what it is mm-hmm. but if i see the other side like if they're not going to do anything for me then at what point do i just like well why are we here i, I totally get it gerald i mean you, you hit the nail on the head right four of iowa State's six scoring drives and again they, they forced some field goals in this one but four of their six that they got points on started the isu 38 or better three of those actually started on texas's half of the field that's hard for a defense like if the other team starts on on your or you know on your half there's a good chance you're giving up at least points like you can hope like they did on their first drive to not give up a touchdown but you just kind of are consigned that you're going to give up points however Texas started one drive in Iowa State territory and and, and didn't um, <laughs> to go back to inept uh, offense. But yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. They were put in a tough position. If you talk about wearing down and the trend of second half, the offense not functioning and the defense being out there forever, the defense having bad field position, punters being forced to have their heels or full you know, body in their own end zone, punting and what that does to you, how your defense starts in the psyche. Sure, I get it. I get all of that. But there is a very clear pattern of like, like we said, just defense, it being almost a, almost it's more plastic than metal, right? Like it looks tough on the outside, but it, it, it very easily when, when pressure is applied, it, it is found to crack. And typically the second halves are, are, are when that has, has been the case. Um, not to overstate it, got three games and hopefully a bowl game to change that narrative somewhat. But when you have four in a row that kind of follow, and this one was not where the offense did it big in the first half, but nonetheless, you take a lead to halftime and then you lose it. That's tough. There's no two ways to say it. When your punter has twice the amount of yardage that your offense does, almost two and a half times Mm -hmm. what your offense, two and a quarter times what the offense does, It's a bad outing. 11 punts, 483 yards. Cameron Dicker is part of the reason why Texas was able to stay in this game early Mm -hmm. because the offense gave up field position and he flipped the field. Had two punts over 50 yards. Four of his 11 landed inside the 20, uh, including one on the one and one on the two. They weren't monkeying around on the special teams on Saturday. They did have the one block. It may or may not have been a penalty, but didn't get called, so we can't live in that fantasy world. But like that's that is a perfect and emblematic take on how the off how bad Texas was is that Dicker had two and a quarter times what they did on offense. No, no, no. I think it's unequivocally this was the best unit, right? Like just we we joked about monkeying around and monkey on the back. Like I think the national narrative was, oh my gosh. 
this story is crazy on Texas and let's just talk about it. Let's name it. The Jeff Banks having um, a, a pet monkey through his significant other. Okay, great. Um, that was the national story. Texas was mocked for it. I thought it was funny. You just got to laugh that stuff off and go play. And, and the special teams did. They were the only unit that came to play. The block punt that they had where Cavante Dixon blocked the punt for Iowa State should have resulted in points for Texas. Uh, it didn't. Should have been at least three three points, if, if not a touchdown. And imagine the difference going into halftime when you hold them to three and you put up 10 or maybe even 14, um, what that does for the whole team. Again, the fact that Dicker had 11 punts, four of them inside the 20 is great. Pinning one on the one and two and two others inside the 20 is, is amazing. But you have to factor in the fact that five of his punts, he was standing in his own end zone like that's that's tough they gave up negative one punt return yards and zero kick return yards they were perfect in the job they needed to do the only thing they didn't do is have what gerald called uh in his prediction uh, you know a, a a break one for a punt return but by god they tried it you know multiple times hoping to try to get something going when the offense felt anemic i, I the special teams again for all the distractions what you could say about that were the t- only team that looked locked in in this game they looked like they wanted to be difference makers they wanted to be special so credit to them take a moment to appreciate that they played a great game in spite of the offense playing four quarters subpar the defense playing at least two subpar special teams played four good if not great quarters and and we said special teams might be a chance where texas uh could win baylor beat again this iowa state team only because of special teams unfortunately we weren't able to do anything that big but again they kept them in the game to make it a game uh like you mentioned especially with that punt team which is by far our our most productive and active unit unfortunately it's a great transition we both missed on our pods dramas picks we still sit at 12 uh, 12 and 9 for the year. Kyle had 125 and a score for Bijan. He was the closest on his. Brock Purdy, he also uh, said, would have one interception and he did not. Uh, Xavier Worthy, I said, would go for 100 yards and a touchdown. That turned out to not be the case, which is fine. He had uh, not a. Uh, he had. Two receptions for 22 yards and a touchdown, so not quite there. And then Texas, I don't even know if they returned the ball. I can't distinctly remember when they <laughs> did, but they sure as heck didn't return it for a touchdown. So uh, so put a bow on this. Uh, after all of the, the consternation and all the hand-wringing last week about Sark and Joshua Moore getting into it, Joshua Moore uh, did officially, they officially announced it today that Joshua Moore is taking his talents elsewhere. He's going to find his way into the transfer portal and probably end up in Los Angeles because that's where all former Longhorns seemingly end. <laughs> Up. Uh, but Josh Moore is no longer part of the team, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Josh Josh Moore's had uh, some good moments in the long run, some 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 tough ones, some tough moments on the field and off the field. And you know, you, you always hope you keep everyone uh, at least to the end of the season. So you hate to see that. But um, you know, Sark talked talked about the difference between being demanding versus being demeaning, and I hope the players respond to some tough love some tough coaching i hope like they they talked to sark and his presser today that more players are getting in each other's faces and if that means guys that don't like it or aren't here for it or or buying into mentalities that are carried over from previous regimes then you know maybe it is best for all parties that there's separation i'm not speaking just to josh more specifically but in general that you know pair this team down to the guys who want to be there who who want to ball out who want to you know build texas into 
the vision that Sark has for how this team can be an elite program. And, and you know, that, that needs to be the mentality. And then you have to do the work. And so, again, not specifically talking about Josh Moore, but I, I imagine Joshua Moore, but I imagine there will be other transfers in the coming weeks, and especially once the season's over, which is the more traditional route when people transfer in or out. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't expect this to be the last one is, is what I would say. No, I would not expect this to be the last transfer. And, again, our stance is always – Student athletes need to do what's best for themselves. Wish you the best of luck in the transfer portal. But we'll be back. Texas will take on Kansas this weekend. I believe it's on ESPNU because that's the kind of uh, draw (laughs) Texas has currently. But we'll be back following the game for a post-game live stream where we break down what hopefully is a win against the Jayhawks on Saturday. Well, now's the part of the show where we give some shine to the teams that are actually doing something worthwhile (laughs) on the fields and the courts, and we down the 40. Number 20, Texas soccer in the Big 12 tournament made an incredible run to the conference championship game and actually had an opportunity to win it they blasted OU off the field in the quarters five to two and then beat West Virginia it was actually nil nil at the end of overtime but they won on penalty kicks four to three they actually took a lead in the 39th minute of the championship game over TCU but TCU notched two second half goals uh, to take the lead Texas actually had an opportunity to tie the game late it was literally like they're gonna blow the whistle next time it changes possession uh and ashlyn miller who scored the goal earlier in the game had a shot but it went wide left so it's their first loss since september 9th they went all of october without a loss 14 matches is actually the program record which is really absolutely incredible Texas had a program record five players on the all-tournament team. Missimo, Byers, Grasso, Cox, and McFarlane made it to that squad. Yeah, they now get a they got their draw today, just before we recorded this. Uh, a tough draw in the NCAA tournament. They are a top twenty team, and they're going to have to prove it. Uh, they start taking on number seventeen SMU in Dallas on Sunday, uh, the fourteenth. Um, that will be an interesting one. Who coached at UT for 13 years, led him to two postseason Big 12 titles, a regular season championship, three runs to the Sweet 16. Uh, he's number six all-time winningest uh, women's soccer coach. So a, a great coach who's who's built something there at SMU. And so it'll be interesting double homecoming for half the roster and then also uh, for a coach who used to coach um, for UT in a really good team. If they, if they do win that, again, number 17 versus number 20, similar – teams having similar seasons um you know if they do get by that one on the road well they're rewarded with the number one overall seed florida state who just beat number two uh who was number one uh university of virginia in the acc championship um both of those are number one seeds in the tournament by the way um (laughs) both really elite teams and uh, but yeah who's currently number one is florida state ut's second opponent so man they are they are and that one will be in tallahassee so they are starting off as tough probably as you can as you can after having a good season unless you're like the last seed in um and and you know they are up to it they've been playing really really well so grind it out don't give up goals see if you can spring one on the counter or, or a set piece or, you know, maybe send it to penalties and, and try your luck against some really good programs. But I think they have the right mentality and, a, you know, a mix of a couple couple old players who have been there a while and a couple young players bringing the new culture to Texas. So make sure you tune in to those. 
Uh, it's going to be, a, I think it'll be a great tournament for them. And we're excited that the ladies had an incredible, incredible run, regardless of how it turns out. Number one, Texas volleyball lost their first match of the season on Saturday. They swept number 10 Baylor on Friday, three, nothing. But then on Saturday, it was just one of those weird ones where things don't quite land where you want them to. Baylor's a really great volleyball team and they'll take advantage of that. Friday, all three sets were really tight. So you knew this was going to be a good one. 25-20, 25-23, and 26-24 were the scores there. Logan Eggleston did what she does. 13 kills, eight digs, and five blocks. Asia O'Neill chipped in with eight kills, two aces, and two blocks. Saturday, it was also a really tight one. Texas lost the first set by two. They won the second based on um, they won the second twenty five to eighteen, and then it was a twenty uh, twenty five twenty in thirty two to thirty. They went they went and stretched that one on that mm-hmm. last one. In set three is the one that I think really broke the back for Texas. They hit just one eighty two on that set with five errors. There were twenty service errors overall on the day, so it was just not a great outing for the ladies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I come back to Earth Game, and, and if you're going to do it uh, on, you know, on the road against a top ten team, is is as good a time as any. If you have to lose a game, I'd love to go undefeated. Um, but you know, remember that feeling. Don't don't let it come again, right? The, let this be your one in the regular season, and don't do it again. Go ahead and win all the way throughout. Uh, get all the way to that championship game again, and this time finish it out. These these losses are tough. Hopefully, character building for a team that had a tough end to last year and has one goal in mind, and that's the national championship. And they've been number one, I think, for ten straight weeks. I don't see any reason why they should lose that uh, for losing their first one of the year, um, but they will likely remain number one. Uh, but again, now it's uh, it's a not a perfect uh, mark, but they no longer have to wonder when that first one comes. Now they can just focus on beating the tar out of OU next uh, next game on the road uh, in Norman. It's our favorite thing. To do number one, men's swimming and diving dominates Virginia on their home water in their home water, one ninety one to one sixteen. The ladies, another uncharacteristic one, fell to number one women's UVA swimming two hundred one to one fifty two. Yeah, you had both defending national champions in this one. Um, the the men obviously for Texas and the women for Virginia. Uh, number nine men for uh, UVA just you know to get dominated like that was was I'm sure shocking for them number five women's uh, Texas women's had you know they knew how hard it was going to be and actually put up a pretty valiant effort 201 to 152 um, both Texas men and Virginia women look the favorites after this one and, and the whole season to uh, to repeat as champions uh, and let's see if the Texas women have anything to say about that maybe there can be a rematch in a national championship setting we'll be back and they mean it more significantly than the football team. Uh, Texas men's and women's basketball had a doubleheader, have a doubleheader today, the day that you're listening to it, on the 9th. The women take on New Orleans at 5.30. They're ranked number 21 in the newly released coaches poll. The men will take on Houston Baptist at 8. Yeah, and, and look, the women had a had a great scrimmage when we saw them against Oklahoma Baptist, won by thirty three points. Audrey Warren looked great. Uh, we saw Leah Moore in her first performance. Also, Hunter uh, hitting from deep. Uh, Femisudi, a transfer JUCO, you know, uh, elite JUCO transfer, had eleven rebounds. There was some foul trouble for the women, uh, for, especially for the bigs. Uh, Latasha Lattimore also in there. So um, it, it'll it'll be curious, you know, if they can get that. Uh, right 
right. Um, they each of these teams gets to open with a, a an opponent they should beat before playing teams that played in the national championship game. Uh, the women will play Stanford in their second game. The men will play Gonzaga in their second game. So Stanford <laughs> did win again. Talking about playing uh, national reigning champions, Gerald. Do you know? Uh, one famous alum. You're an Oklahoma resident from Oklahoma Baptist University. I do not. Oral Roberts went to Oklahoma Baptist University. And I'm going to continue that theme when I say this. The men who are playing at eight won their scrimmage against T- Texas Lutheran, TLU. Uh, if you didn't hear us recap that one, it was 96 to 33. Uh, Texas hung almost as many points as Martin Luther hung theses. Uh, that'd be 99 <laughs> for the folks listening at home. Uh, and so they will open against Houston Baptist uh, in the second game of that doubleheader again before playing Gonzaga. So uh, that one should be great. Should be a great home atmosphere. They're starting the last season in the drum. Uh, Texas men's basketball will likely be without best rebounder Dylan DeSue as they kind of kind of rehab him back slowly. Haven't given a specific timeline on when he'll be back uh, from the knee injury. So uh, a good one to get out for if you're in the Austin area. Tickets are cheap, ten bucks for both games. Uh, be there, be loud. I think they have ten thousand season tickets uh, or close to it. So um, absolutely go check out this game or at least put your TV tuned to it on Tuesday. And finally, Texas in the 2023 class got their air quotes first member of that class, four-star safety Jamel Johnson from Seguin High School in Arlington, Texas, committed to the Longhorns at number 177 player in the country, number 27 in the Lone Star State. So Texas looking to add big body safeties in the back, 6-1-1-75. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I mentioned it, Texas basketball. I mean, I've joked a couple times. I joked on our live stream that it's basketball season now. I mean, the football team will continue to support them and hope for good things, but but don't forget, we have two really good teams tipping off, but especially the men's team. Um, The job that Chris Beard has done um, to come in and – kind of get some energy around this program where we saw last year as Shaka's kind of summit with all the talent he had coming back, knowing there would be a big drop off. We just always expected this was going to be a down year for the basketball team, a rebuilding year. It would have to be. And the fact that all the things lined up for our, our beloved portal pirate that Chris Beard came <laughs> in, um, had by far the number one transfer class that's ever been put together probably in college sports in general I mean just because this is so uncharted territory but certainly in basketball and and men's basketball um, but the ability to bring all those guys in when you knew that you'd have to rebuild a team um, and and have the excitement and the momentum going around this Texas uh, broke their their record as I mentioned for season tickets with over 9,000 already but I, I just have been thinking a lot about Chris Beard, an interesting fact. Um, I mentioned they they opened the game uh, their season against Houston Baptist. So I did a little research when Chris Beard uh, coached his first game ever uh, for Texas Tech. Their first opponent was Houston Baptist. They won ninety three to sixty seven. So he has a direct measuring stick. And I just wanted to throw one more Chris Beard quote out there because we've heard the four to one, we've heard the believe, we've heard all the kind of Chris Beard uh, isms, but. There was a quote when I was doing some Chris Beard research for this one that came up a couple years ago. Um, I believe it was uh, during their 
their their their Monday night. They want to be a Monday night team during their Monday night run to the NCAA championship game, which they did lose in overtime to Virginia. Um, but he talked about coaching uh, coaching a guy, Keenan Evans, and his quote is one of my favorites that I've ever heard a coach say. And I'm not talking about Keenan. Listen to this from Chris Beard. He said, Keenan's a special player. I love coaching him. I don't want it to end. I want to coach that guy another day. It's like you've got a good plate of enchiladas and you're looking at it and you have only two bites left, but it's so good you turn it into three bites. That's the most like Texas ridiculous coach speak thing I've ever heard, but I love it. Like, if you're not bought into the Chris Beard hype train, like this weird goofball guy that he is, like, he is it. I don't think he's putting on any affronts or any shows. This like dork who loves this game and loves his players this much is who he is. He is this corny. He is this cheesy, like a plate of greasy, steaming, cheesy enchiladas. Um, but that's just, that, that quote is just so great. And it just, I don't know why reading that got me as hyped as anything for this basketball season that starts today as you're listening to this. I jury's still out with me on Chris Beard as a basketball coach. I don't necessarily love watching the brand of basketball, but I definitely love watching wins more than I love losses. But personality wise, I was I was in awe and I was definitely on the hook when he in his introductory press conference just talked at a level 11 the entire time and then lost track of what he was saying in the middle of an answer. It was like, sorry, that's my ADHD. Like that is me <laughs> as I live my life every day. And so Chris Beard and I are kindred spirits because I also, and I, and this is probably a controversial take. I judge Tex-Mex based on enchiladas. Cause if you can't do enchiladas well, I don't trust you to do anything else. Preach. That's my opinion. I don't care about yours. You can tweet me at, I don't care, but like that's so again, Chris Beard, you and I, you could tweet Gerald at government cheese <laughs> with your with your takes on enchiladas being the best Mexican measuring stick. But I'm banging the drum this week on frustrations. So if I asked you, and this is a hypothetical, the percentage of snaps that Texas has led this year, what number would you guess? Come up with something in your head. Draw it on a notepad that you got, or just think about it. Well, if you're driving or working out or mowing the lawn or whatever, think about it. Texas has led on 70% of their snaps this year. They're currently four and five. Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Sooners, currently undefeated. With the, the fate of their season in their hands, if they went out, they probably will find a way into the college football playoff to compete for a national championship, has led on just 60% of their snaps this year. And that tells me one of two things. One, it ain't about how you start, it's about how you finish. And we've seen that over the last four weeks and for something for some reason, Texas has not figured out how to finish. And that's a championship mentality thing. And I'm going to say this, and this is probably a controversial opinion, but I don't know if there are many people in that locker room at Moncrief that have that championship mentality because they haven't had it for so long. And especially at the level at which they're playing. They don't care how you start. They care what the scoreboard says when the clock hits zero. And so how long can you stay in the fight? And that extends to now the season where we're at because there are three games left on the schedule. And let's just be honest, it can get worse. <laughs> you think four and five sucks. 
How about five, five and seven and not playing in a bowl game? Six and six also sucks. Sucks less than five and seven. But that means you couldn't win all three of them to close it out. And the thing that really speaks to me, and, and this is where I'll bring it home, is they can change or at least alter or reclaim some of the narrative of this season with how they finish these last three weeks. Because we will always talk about the meltdown against OU, the meltdown against OSU. We'll always talk about this weird four-game stretch, but especially going into a season where Texas is going to need to land some high-priority kids on the recruiting market and in the transfer portal to really shore this thing up for the future, can you give the coaching staff something to sell as a proof of concept? Something to sell as the, I know it sucks now, but here's where we're going and here's where you fit into that. So yes, would I rather Texas be seven and one right now, <laughs> be eight and one right now, and not have the meltdowns? Yes, absolutely, right. But Texas can do some damage control over the next three weeks and really send this thing off with less of a whimper. And that's where I'll leave you. It's not about how you start; it's about how you finish. And can they do something worth a darn over these last three weeks? There is a scenario where they get to play Kansas. Something snaps in their brain, getting to be a bully again. They didn't get to play Kansas last year, remember. So the last time they played Kansas was a tough one. And that Tom Herman era took a, a dicker the kicker last second field goal when Kansas brought in a new offensive coordinator over the bye week, changed it up on us. But you would have you would have thought last year that would have helped that team. You would think this year to help that team. There is a world where they get right, something snaps. They carry that through the next two weeks, get a favorable bowl matchup in probably not a especially marquee bowl, um, but get a bowl matchup, somehow win that, have a four-game winning streak, an eight-win season, and you're talking about an entirely different offseason and momentum. Now, I'm not here to be a sunshine pumper. I'm not saying that is going to happen, but that could happen. And I think, as like Gerald said, as dark as it feels right now, you could probably be in a very different place if that's how they choose to finish, but you know who has to do it? The hundred guys inside that locker room who have to buy in and decide now's the time. Let's get busy living or get busy dying. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. And you can follow Gerald Burner at Government Cheese. Got to quit putting that out there, Kyle. <laughs> RJ Young is going to block that one too. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Why are you so soft that you block me, Kyle, and the podcast feed just because I said you put out bad tweets for interactions? You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. It's basketball season, baby. Yeah.